Amen. Awesome. Well, uh, welcome to Genesis, man. My name is uh, Mike, and uh, here at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you walked in tonight that you felt comfortable and invited. Uh, and I also hope that you came with an open heart because we have prayed and prepared for you. And so we are glad that you're here, and uh, happy December. Life is crazy around this time of year, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, uh, I've been battling uh, a, a loss of my voice for the last few days, and so uh, let's hope I can get through this thing. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, don't worry about me, though. All right, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, but this is uh, surely on your uh, radar already, uh, but just as a housekeeping announcement for you guys, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve are both on Tuesday nights this year. Um, so there will be no service, no Genesis service on those nights. Uh, so that'll actually start a two-week break for us. And so we'll go up until uh, December 17th and then come back on January 7th. Um, and I know it's a, um, and I'll announce that too uh, moving forward so you guys don't forget, but uh, I know it's a holiday season. Uh, you know, it's a fun time of year and Work is crazy this time of year. You know, it's almost time for exams if you're in school. Family's coming in town or you're leaving to go see family. And so uh, this month, like we did um, last December, if you remember, but uh, we're going to keep things laid back and lighthearted tonight um, and just kind of keep things simple but, but still challenging. Okay, sound good? Awesome. Um, so tonight we're beginning a Christmas series called Manger Danger. Manger Danger, that's fun to say. Um, where uh, we're seeing, uh, we're going to see how the birth of Jesus was uh, not just this classic nativity scene, but instead a, uh, an event that changed the direction of history and can possibly change the direction of our lives and, uh, and how it was a, a massive threat to how we view our lives. Um, but before we jump into that, I wanted to play a game with you guys. Okay, is that cool? All right, I'm calling this small town trivia. All right. Here's the deal. So this is what we're going to have to do. So on the screen, you're going to see a small town, uh, like town, state, and then it's a multiple choice, and you have to guess which celebrity was from that small town. All right? Sound good? All right, here we go. If you can't see it, hopefully you can. Can everybody see it? All right. Wyoming, Pennsylvania. All right, A, Brad Pitt, B, Harry Styles, C, Seth Rogen, or D, Taylor Swift. You can, like, shout out your answer, your answer. All right, so let's use some process of elimination. Seth Rogen is Canadian. Harry Styles is British. So we left, we're left with two. All right, let's see the answer. Oh, it's Taylor Swift. Yes. All right, Sweet. Concord, Massachusetts, A, Oprah, B, Jimmy Fallon, C, Steve Carell, or D, Mark Wahlberg? I think D. So D is a good guess because Mark Wahlberg, if you know anything about him, he's a big uh, New England sports fan, which would make sense for him to be from Massachusetts. Uh, and Ryan, where is Oprah from? Louisiana. I'm not sure how you know that. Uh, he said that yesterday, and I was like, okay. Uh, Jimmy Fallon is from Brooklyn, New York. And so that leaves us with C, Steve Carell. Yes. All right. Atlanta, Texas. Didn't even know that was such a thing. Atlanta, Texas. Uh, a, Ellen. B, Kanye West. C, Tom Cruise, or D, 
Drake. Any thoughts? Well, Drake is also Canadian. Uh, big Toronto Raptors guy. Um, all right, let's see what the answer is. Ah, it's Ellen. Ellen, yes, A, Ellen. I think there's one more, right? Okay, Stratford, Ontario. That is, now hold on. Cher, Jim Carrey, Justin Bieber, and Keanu Reeves are all Canadian. Even Cher. Someone asked me yesterday, is Cher a man or a woman? He's a woman. <laughs> she is a woman. Um, Stratford, Ontario. And the answer is Justin Bieber. Good deal. Uh, I'm a big shocker, right? Um, the other day, I, I met someone at church who said she was from uh, upstate South Carolina. And I was like, oh, cool. Uh, what part? And she said, Star, South Carolina. And I was like, where? You know? I have never, I mean, I've lived here my whole life, and I've never heard of that place. Um, I looked it up, and the population is 187 people. And I guess it's 186 now that she lives here, right? And so uh, Star, South Carolina, uh, you know, population of, like, Goose Creek, Walmart, <laughs> um, Somerville, Chick-fil-A, local movie theater, right? It made me think, right, that must have been what it was like for Jesus to say that he was born in Bethlehem, right? You were born where? I've never heard of it, right? So we're going to talk about the significance of that tonight. So uh, if you would, pray with me, and then we will jump into this. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for bringing us here together during a holiday season, week off Thanksgiving with Christmas down the road. And so, uh, God, I pray that tonight you would speak to us clearly. Um, and God, we thank you for the, another opportunity this year to celebrate the birth of your son and all that that means. In Jesus' name, we all said together, Amen. Awesome. Well, if you would, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. Um, and while you're turning there, uh, I just want to encourage you. I know this, this story, um, you know, the story of the birth of Jesus is one that you may have heard many times before. Um, even if you're not familiar with church, you're probably familiar with this story, right? Um, and so I would challenge you to not tune it out tonight just because you know it already. Um, and I'm saying that because I can find myself there as well, you know, trust me, I would if I could, but I'm, I'm not trying to uh, put a new twist on the Christmas story. I, you know, if that could have been done in the last 2,000 years of church history, it would have been, right? Um, and so I'm going to do my best, um, as always, to bring it to you in a unique way, just not a new way, all right? The story is the story. And so hang with me tonight. Let's see what the Lord can teach us through the birth of Christ. Um, so by the time we get to Luke 2, uh, the angel has come to Mary and told her, hey, you're going to give birth to the Savior. Um, and she miraculously conceived the baby that was to be the Messiah, and she was to name him Jesus. Well, at the time, Mary was betrothed to a man named Joseph, but the, you know, they weren't married yet. And so Joseph was going to respectfully break things off with her, and as, as he was going to do that, the same angel came to him and said, hold on, this whole thing is for real. Um, and so Mary, as Mary came closer to term, they ended up making a trip to Joseph, Joseph's hometown because of a census that was taking place. So this is Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. See, this, this census was organized by the, the ruler at the time, Caesar Augustus. And this meant that everybody had to return to their hometown to be accounted for. Um, so Joseph, because he was a descendant of King David, he returned to his hometown, which was Bethlehem. And so Bethlehem was actually, like, like I said, was, it was where King David was born. Uh, it was actually a, a place of great significance back in that day of King David. But by the time Joseph was born, it had dwindled into insignificance and unimportance, right? It was no man's land. Like, it was backwoods. It was Star, South Carolina, right? No offense to Star, South Carolina. Um, and so for us, when we read this, right, we, we know the story, right? We don't really think twice about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But to a first century Middle Eastern person, right, if they were to read this account of the birth of Jesus and they saw that he was in Bethlehem or born in Bethlehem, they'd be like, what? You're, you're, you're telling me that the, the, the Savior of, of the world that we've been waiting centuries for or, you know, who's been prophesied about, who's supposed to come set us free from the Romans because that's what they thought he was going to do, he's going to be born in Bethlehem? Right? That would be like someone saying, like in nowadays, saying he was going to be born in Star, South Carolina, or Stars Hollow, or Pawnee, Indiana, right? It's like, why in the world would they be born in there? It didn't make any sense to have such a powerful person, God in the flesh, to be born in a place like that, a place of no influence, no power, no strength. Yet that was exactly where Jesus was going to be born. And then once he was born, he was laid in a manger, which is another word for a horse trough. Because there was no room in the inn. Everything about the birth of Jesus communicated humility. It communicated humility. It was significant that Jesus was born in no man's land, Bethlehem, because it was upside down, right? It didn't, didn't make any sense. And that fact communicates clearly his, his mission here on earth, right? He came here to turn things on their head, right? In his teaching, he, he took the law and made it less about the outside and more about on the inside, more about who you are. He said, blessed are the poor, right? That's an opposite, not the rich, right? Blessed are the meek because they're going to inherit the earth, right? In his life, he took the form of a servant, making himself low, and he had every right to make himself high or to be put high, right? In his death, he lowered himself to be a sacrifice when he had every right to pour out wrath, right? Everything about the life of Jesus on earth signified humility. Think about this, at conception, we are a cluster of cells that is small enough to fit on the tip of a ballpoint pen. And so how backwards is it to think that the God of the universe, who, who spoke everything into existence, humbled himself to become a cluster of cells? Right? How backwards is it to think that he who formed you fearfully and wonderfully in your mother's womb had to be formed himself? Right? To think that the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sustaining God lowered himself to be formed inside a woman's womb. Right? His heart had to separate into its four chambers. His brain had to, had to develop, his skin, his eyes, his organs. And to think that this all-sustaining God who provides all that we have will be dependent on an umbilical cord inside of Mary to provide and sustain for him. And once he was born, he had to learn to walk and talk and feed himself and go to the bathroom. He was as human as you and I in this room tonight. So what kind of love, what kind of humility would be willing to leave the perfection of heaven to then step into the weakness of a human body? To be born in a humble town, to humble parents, in a humble manger. Right? Jesus humbled himself immensely and to an unimaginable level. 
to bring us back into a right relationship with the Father. So with all this in mind, yeah, this, is a, uh, this is a quote I read a while back from Oswald Chambers that uh, I want to share with you. And, uh, and while we're on Oswald Chambers, um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, I quote from him a lot. And the reason I quote from him a lot, last year at the beginning of uh, the year, so I think it's, I don't know how many days, his, he has a really famous devotional called uh, My Utmost for His Highest. You may have heard that before. Um, and it is incredible. And I, I, like I said, I don't remember how many days it was, but I started that January 1st last year and, uh, and went through that. So if, just to throw that out, the year's about to start, if that's something you're interested in. Um, but this is a quote I read a while back from that uh, that I want to share with you. And so I want to ask you this, this question tonight. Have you made your heart a Bethlehem for the Son of God? Have you made your heart a Bethlehem for the Son of God? Have we humbled ourselves to the point where Jesus is Lord over our entire life and not just parts? And, and we know this, but the opposite of humility is pride, right? And, and pride is putting ourselves on the throne of our lives. And so if Jesus was able to step off his throne, we should be able to step off of ours as well. To be able to say, man, God, you know, God, let your kingdom come in my life, not my kingdom. Let your will be done, not my will. You know, to be able to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To be able to say, I no longer seek the approval of men, but the approval of God. And so on the practical side of this, it's, it's kind of, you know, the, the next natural question to ask is, well, what does it look like to be humble, right? And that's a tough question because humility is one of those things that is really hard to define, um, but you know it when you see it, right? It's hard to explain, but you know it when you see it. Um, and it's funny because it even sounds weird if you were to say, you know, yeah, I'm pretty humble. You know what I mean? Because um, even that statement is not that humble, right? I'm the most humble person I know. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think, I think humility begins to take hold the moment that we start to loosen our grip on ourselves. And, and that, I know that sounds extremely simple, but the most humble people that I know, I don't think realize that they're humble, right? And, and the reason is because humble people, they've come to an end of themselves to the point where their agenda and their desires are hidden in that of God and that of others. They don't even realize they're being humble, right? Because they've grafted their life into the love of God and love of people so much, they don't even think about themselves, and I do want to mention that when I say that we need to, you know, loosen our grip on ourselves, I don't mean being, like, completely negligent of our well-being. You know what I mean? Even Jesus, you know, who lived a life completely focused on others, he, he still withdrew to have time with God and, like, and to get right before going back out into crowds or things like that. Um, but humility, it, it starts when I begin to end, right? Humility starts when I start to end. So at this point, right, you, you might be thinking, okay, well, I want to be more humble. Uh, I want to... Do like you know, do what you said. Loosen my grip on myself, but how do I do that? Right? If, if humility is so hard to define, how in the world can I begin to have more of it in my life? And so I want to give us three practical things that we can do to maybe see some more humility in our life. And um, these three will all build on each other. Okay. So the first one is this, and this is probably the uh, like I said, they build on each other. So this is like the, the most simple one. Um, look for needs and meet them. That's the first one. Look for needs. And meet them, right? Having eyes to see the needs around you is a massive deal when it comes to lowering yourself, right? Because in order to be cognizant and aware and mindful of the needs around us, right, we have to forget about ourselves, right? If we're, if we're so into what we need and what we got to do and where we got to go, then we'll, we'll miss the needs of others that uh, God has placed around us. But once, you know, when, that, when we start to put ourselves on the back burner, it's like this world of need opens up, right? And we can start to see that clearly. 
But then once we see them, right, we then have a responsibility to do something about it, right? Not only see the needs, but to do something about them and meet those needs. So here's the second one. And like I said, these build on each other. The second one is this. Do what seems humiliating. Do what seems humiliating. I know I've been in some spots before where I'm either serving someone else or I'm serving the church or I'm serving someone I don't know. And if I happen to be doing something that I don't particularly want to do, um, I've had that thought. Man, this is humiliating, right? But aren't the word humiliating and humility awfully close to one another, right? Do what may seem uh, humiliating and will bring with it humility. Uh, it also helps if you change the perspective on whatever need you're meeting, right? If we always uh, see whatever it is as just a task, right, then we'll always have a bad attitude about it. Um, but if we can change our perspective to see it at a deeper level of what we're doing, then our attitude changes, right? And I'll give you some examples. If you've ever watched The Office, okay, we had a Steve Carell, you know, uh, reference a minute ago. If you ever watched The Office, there's an episode where Michael Scott says, you're not selling paper, you're selling success, okay? You're not selling paper, you're selling success. And as funny as that show is, and I'm sure the context around that quote, as funny as it is, that quote is 100% true. You are not just doing the task, you are doing something much more. Okay, an example for me is setting up these chairs, all right? Jacob and I and Carol and Emily helped yesterday, but we usually set them up on Monday afternoons, all right? And sometimes I see that as a task that I don't like having to do. Uh, and so it can oftentimes come with a bad attitude. Uh, but I have to remind myself to switch my perspective, that I am not setting up chairs. I'm setting up an environment for people to come have an experience with God. And every chair I set out represents a, a story and a soul. And dang it, I should pray over this chair as I set it out, right? You see how much value that adds to the task? That change of perspective goes a long way. A task will remain mundane as long as you let it be mundane. The last one is this, be okay with not being seen. And that's a hard one. Be okay with not being seen. Uh, Harry Truman, president, once said this, it's amazing what can get done when nobody cares who gets the credit. If we want to see more humility in our lives, we have to be okay uh, when nobody cares who gets the credit, right? We have to be okay with serving when nobody sees it. We have to be okay when meeting needs when no eyes are watching but God's. And, uh, just that thought, man, we'll never be strong in the spotlight until we're strong in the shadows. And so be okay with not being seen, and humility will follow. So to summarize tonight, that question, have you made your heart a Bethlehem for the Son of God? And because Jesus stepped off of his throne, we can step off of ours. And the steps that we can take to doing, to doing that are having eyes to see the need, doing what seems humiliating, being okay with not being seen. That sound good? Awesome. Well, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to have some analysis for you, and uh, we're going to finish this night off with some fun. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for uh, bringing us all here again, like I said, at a uh, holiday season. And uh, so, God, I pray that this word would not fall on deaf ears, but, God, we, we would really start to step off the throne of our lives um, and start to see a little bit more humility in our life. And, uh, God, we thank you for also uh, for your son that was the ultimate example of that, um, that had every right to come here and reign as a king, instead came to live as a servant, as he was born in a, a small town, um, to live a, a humble life and, and to die as a sacrifice for us. And um, so, God, we thank you for that. We pray that you would give us the strength and give us more of your spirit to follow that example. In Jesus' name, amen.